0: This is a podcast from the Poetry Society.
1: The reader is alone with the book and alone with the poem, and, and that's where I think of myself as a reader as well, at night, <laughs> with the lamp on the page.
0: Hello, I'm Kaio Chingoni, the co-editor of the Autumn 2016 issue of The Poetry Review. And I'm very pleased to be joined today by one of our contributors, Jacob Polly. Hello, Jacob. Hello. Um, thank you so much for contributing three wonderful poems, um, The Lofts, Apple Jack, and uh, Snow Dad. I wondered if, if we could talk first of all about those poems and perhaps how they, how they came about in relation to your latest collection, Jack Self. Mm-hmm. Did they come about early in the, in the process? Were the poems written? Continuously, or what was the process there?
1: Oh, it's always really hard to kind of remember the process of kind of making the work or writing the work. But um, I, I started to write these poems in 2012. I, I kind of know that because I can kind of mark it almost exactly. I had taught an Arvon week at Totley Barton. You know, the, you know the Arvon residential weeks, and I, I did a, I did a week there. And what I always tell my the participants of one of those weeks is to kind of go away and regard the week as a kind of huge charge and go away and continue to write basically on riding on the energy of the week if there has indeed been good energy as there usually has been on these weeks but I thought well I never do that you know I never take my own advice you know I always just go home and watch you know Masterchef you know what I mean I I, I try and go and do nothing but I thought well actually I'm going to take my own advice and try to just kind of write something off the top of my head and it had been a kind of recharging week for me. So anyway, I sat down and I just wrote one of these odd poems with this character called Jack Self and I kind of immediately thought this first poem was a kind of way of handling... Because, you know, I think we're all all handling the same material really over and over again. There's no kind of getting round that. (laughs) There isn't some new material that is going to suddenly lay itself down inside you level by level, sediment layer by sediment layer, it's all there. So it seems to me that we just have to find ways to revolve our lens or the gemstone that we're kind of looking through in order to reveal different facets of this same material. So I suddenly kind of thought, well, actually, this is interesting because it's it's handling material that I've maybe handled before, but in a completely different way. But I immediately thought, where's that going to go? You know what I mean? Mm. As a, it doesn't seem like a standalone poem to me. It seems like something that just isn't going to go into a a book that that is a collection of poems written over a period, unconnected to one another. So that was a bit frightening, I think, because I thought, oh goodness me, can I do another one? So I, that was it, really. I kind of started to try to. to no, I didn't try to do anything, but. I started to think about writing some more and wondering if I could do the same, do it the same way, I suppose, which was kind of in a a state or a condition of kind of complete recklessness, really. I just wanted to push these poems, really, into places that I didn't, wasn't expecting to go, wasn't intending to go kind of outside. Where a, a kind of poem that I maybe had written in the past had rounded off or finished, and I, I kind of tried to resist that in these poems. I tried to resist a sense of of being kind of rounded off and finished, I suppose. Mm. That's a long story for mm. for a, for, a, for a short question, okay, I'm sorry.
0: No, it's okay. I think it's it's interesting and and fruitful to discuss it because in relation to your three previous collections before Jack Self, there was this, same inclination and affinity with music there was the same references to folklore particularly the folklore perhaps you were exposed to in childhood of that landscape so i feel like the stories that are made explicit in jack self were always there as you say but in jack self you've kind of embodied them in in a very different way so it, it was very fascinating to hear your take on on that process i was interested in what you were saying about the movement away from a collection of discrete poems which mm. collect and finish individually and then build together as a as a set of individuals do you think the writing of jack self has been influenced by your work writing novels or writing in other forms
1: yeah quite quite possibly i think i think that's a very good point i was just thinking as you as you were speaking then about one of the things in Jack's self is maybe speech, you know, the characters in the poems speak, you know, they say things, there's kind of dialogue in there. And I suppose that's something very much imported from my experience of of novel writing, of, of writing short stories. And I mean, I don't know, I don't, I don't see it that much in, in poems, which tend to be a kind of, I mean, of course not. I'm about to make a sweeping generalisation that, you know, they, they tend to be a single lyric voice often. <laughs> So there's maybe something there in terms of the way that the poems um, allow in. Well, there's a thing about dialogue in short stories and novels, you know, which is that it's the only time the characters reveal themselves without the authorial hand. You know, that kind of slightly paradoxical thing mm. that readers like dialogue because the characters are revealing themselves, as it were, without the the interference of the author. Mm. And there's something very attractive for me in terms of poetry for that. You know, I I kind of wanted that sense of unmediated, of course it's mediated because I made it up, but the the sense of kind of the unmediated voice, the unmediated kind of character, which is not mine.
0: Mm. I think that comes out in how you were talking about the process of making the collection having to do with shaking off certain of your previous patterns of Mm. writing and composition and trying to work in some kind of instinctive or improvisational way i wondered what relation that bears to to music in the sense that jack self has been set by john alder to music yeah and was that something that happened early in the process or is it something that happened after you'd completed the collection
1: i'd kind of completed the the manuscript it was still in a, a wobbly slightly gelatinous state so some things were still changing or about to change but I was uh, asked to do something I was asked to collaborate to do something for the radio to do something with somebody else with you know another artist or something And, and I've worked with John Alder for many years kind of on and off and he was the first person who kind of leapt to mind and I just thought I've worked with him for ages but we've never actually made something together he's always been part of Another project, so he's always done kind of sound design or, or recording for me when I've done something else uh, to do with installation work or drama work or something like that. I wanted to present him with something that we could, he could contribute to and you know bring his own unique talents and vision to. Really, but the process has been really interesting because what we did was I reco- I just recorded the poems on a on a voice recorder. I, re- I recorded a few and just gave John them as sound files. His process was just to listen to them and listen to them and listen to them. And then something kind of rose up for him and he would make something. But the process has evolved as well. So I'll try and find a kind of um, line, a, a, a song line in some of the poems and I'll record that. And John will sometimes use that as the tune for the poem itself or there'll be a bit with, with me, you know, actually singing. So it's almost like cracking the poems to see what the... Because there's a kind of music underneath them that sometimes John is just raising up for the setting of them.
0: The poet Ni Aque Parks says that poetry knows that it's music, but refuses to sing. Um, yeah, that's really good. And I've, yeah. I've always been struck in reading your work of a relationship, not just to lyric poetry, but to song, the sung line, whether that be a kind of ballad meter or form, or else a kind of folkloric nod to the oral tradition, I suppose. Mm. I wondered how much stuff like border ballads and that kind of stuff had come into your early imaginative world.
1: Uh, it's got to be said that I, I don't really know where all that stuff comes from. I, I really, I've got no idea. So I'd love to say that I was kind of steeped like a tea bag in, or, or, or would I be the water or the tea bag? Anyway, I'd love to, to think, to say that I was steeped in this stuff. But I'm I'm kind of not really, um, but it's obviously it's obviously there somehow, and maybe it's just to do with reading and the reading that I did as a as a child and a younger person and the reading that I do, as an adult and um, I, I maybe come from or I was born somewhere at least that where I don't know I, I wouldn't I don't want to make any kind of people make claims for for places that are uh, slightly suspect I think but there's a, certainly a sense of kind of history where I come from, but it's a history that's broken down and it's present in the landscape and on the landscape, but it tends to be reused. I'm thinking about things like Roman stone, you know, Roman stone that goes into barns, et cetera, et cetera, you know, that goes back into churches that that leaves kind of ditches in the landscape, but, but that ditch is the same as a canal, you know. I kind of come from somewhere where there's a sense of yeah things grooved into the landscape and used again and I think maybe that's been a kind of huge influence and i've I've just always been interested in in story and in speech and in song to a certain extent but I, I'm not somebody who you know sat down with the border ballads at the age of nine or anything like that I'd love to say I was and they, but they've become more influential as I've got older you know certainly the you know the sense that there is a, an oral tradition that was captured on paper, in print, but often in versions that were debatable, mm. just as I come from you know, what used to be called the debatable land. Um, so all that's become very interesting and become part of my imaginative landscape, mm. I suppose.
0: Perhaps before those impulses are fleshed out in words, they sort of exist as impressions yeah. Know, yeah. in whichever spaces we come from. Um, I wanted to talk about a poem from The Brink, mm. The Kingdom of Sediment, which, when I read it again recently, reminded me a lot of the poems in Jack Self, in so much as Jack Self is almost an entry into the Kingdom of Sediment, mm. where in the brink you're kind of approaching a threshold. Jack Self is through to the other side of the threshold. And I suppose the Havocs uh, is on the other side of the threshold to a certain extent as well. And when I think about Little Gods, it's perhaps the book in which the self is most apparent, whereas in the others the self is kind of shaken off a little bit and Jack's self is a continuation of that play Mm. with self-identification. I get the impression that for you, the poem is not necessarily the domain for the expression of the self in that simplistic formulation.
1: Mm. I mean, like all these questions, This probably has a double-headed, double-faced answer, which is kind of yes and no. (laughs) I think the self is kind of at the root of all, uh, certainly of all my work, but I think the work maybe springs from the tension, really, between, as it were, self-expression and a, a kind of concealment of the self or a way of... Running the self through a, a kind of magic lantern and kind of seeing what comes out you know use this phrase the other side but seeing what kind of comes out the other side there are lots of things in the work that are as it were personal but you know they're things that are, are, are almost private really for, for me you know they're not it's not important that they're there for a for a reader necessarily. And there's a kind of... You use personal energy, you know, that's what... You use the self's energy, I think, to write poems. You use a kind of energy that is rooted in the self and is uses the power of, of something from the self, the self's experience or the self's feeling about things. But that has to be complicated, I think, by the work. And it's complicated by its movement into language, I think.
0: You've made some um, short films in the past. I was wondering if you'd had any thoughts about... Not necessarily dramatising your work, but um, perhaps trying it out in other forms. There have been a lot of theatrical productions of poetic Mm. work in recent years. Have you ever thought about anything of that nature?
1: Well, I've just written a a kind of radio play, actually, based on the Jack Self material. So I have been thinking about that more, partly because it's just interesting to work with other people. (laughs) <laughs> basically um, you know I think it's nice to kind of um, get out of the house mm. as it were part of the pleasure of doing the project with John Alder is to get out of the house and to work with somebody else and to have somebody else kind of throw their light on the landscape that you know I've been living in the radio plays the same kind of thing and I, I wonder whether whether there's an opportunity for it to have a kind of staged because I love all that you know the smell of a uh, theatre and mm. you know the, the sense of of occasion about all that so I'd like to kind of do something but whether i'll be able to or not i don't know but you know i've been performing with john a couple of times that the poems from jack self as poem songs whatever they are and that's just been really interesting because it's a very different experience to just standing up and, and reading the poems which is an occasion in itself and exciting and interesting but it's something else to kind of have somebody else with you on stage working with you and and making something that is just different you know so yeah, that's that's very interesting. Um, but again, it maybe ties in kale to the kind of voices. You know, this sense that maybe allowing in this speech, you know, dialogue, all of a sudden means that things are dramatizable in a way that they maybe weren't in the past. Speaking
0: <laughs> of reading the work, performing the work as a kind of occasion, I've been very struck in seeing and hearing you read from your work that you quite often pay great attention to the title of each poem in a way that sets each poem in its own moment in time. I think some people just kind of have their poems that they're going to read and they read through the thing and then they sit down. But with you, there are kind of pauses, hesitations, moments in which you kind of almost test out the moment and test out the the title of the poem on the air before you begin reading the poem. Is that something that's very important to your experience of reading poetry aloud?
1: Yeah, I'd never really thought about it. Um, so that's very interesting to hear. Um, I mean, I certainly think that it's very difficult to hear poetry. You know, it's it's very hard to for, for an audience to to actually hear and absorb these made things that are often complex and and intricate or. The sense of them isn't necessarily clear because they're not there on the page for them. So it might be just part of that, really, that what I'm maybe trying to do is is just, as you say, give the poem a space in which the title, etc., is being allowed to to sink into the audience's mind. But you know, the titles I find titles very difficult. They're, they're like the last thing that I I kind of write as well. So I suppose I think about as, as most poets do you know i think about them a lot and think about how they can they act as a kind of hanger for the poem a, a coat hanger you know or, or maybe maybe even a plane hanger but they count as something that the poem takes off from and in that way maybe I'm, I'm trying to kind of cue it up when i'm reading in order for people to be aware of it as they hear the rest of the poem
0: i really appreciated the feeling of the hanger in <laughs> in both senses yeah I do get that space around your poems, both when you read them and also on the page. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of space that might have to do with the fact that you've always been in your books committed to longer poems with mm. a kind of narrative to them and then shorter lyrics and then really short poems, which take more attention and time. I was thinking about this thing of um, what Borges calls the telling of the tale, which is a which he thinks of as a kind of ancient part of the technology of poetry, that it's musical, but it also tells a tale. And so it combines different impulses and kind of gives a, a twin feeling, a two-in-one feeling. And so I was, I was wondering how much the narrative has to be explicable, or are you comfortable with it being mysterious?
1: I think I'm pretty comfortable with it being mysterious and it struck me as you you were just talking then uh, when you were talking about space and uh, silence and it, you know it strikes me that that's what put you know poets work with really that's really what we're working with is is gaps and silence um kind of choreographing that space really that space where the reader can make leaps and can can kind of insert themselves. I mean, that's another thing about the self as well. You know, the, the poem, I think, as you put it so nicely, the technology of the poem, the technology of the poem is such that what, well, what I'm trying to do is kind of make something that the reader can insert themselves into, you know, can put on um, for themselves. And part of that is, is to do with space and silence and gaps and, and being okay with the things that don't necessar- aren't necessarily clear. Um, in terms of, of narrative and, and what's actually happening, I and mean, that doesn't mean that the poem should be unclear or anything like that. It just means that I think readers and listeners are, are more able to, to leap spaces than they're often given credit for, and, and actually that's what they want. You know, they want to be able to jump from word to word, line ending to line ending, verse to verse, and hmm. make their own kind of connections. In the course of
0: our speaking, we've mentioned film and theatrical productions and radio do you think there's a kind of right medium for your work or a medium that you prefer
1: I'm a page poet really you know that's my what I kind of think of myself as you know so the so the white page really is seems to be the the place for it but that doesn't exclude other ways of doing things and and it doesn't mean that I'm uninterested in the spoken and the performance it just means that when I make something that's where I make it usually in a kind of combination between speaking out loud and, and actually transcribing that onto a page so that's the space really I think and it's the space that allows the reader I suppose the most intimate experience of the poem the reader is alone with the book and alone with the poem and and that's where I think of myself as a reader as well at night <laughs> with the lamp on the page.
0: It's a good moment when you can maybe experience it as a reader, perhaps your own work. Mm. And as you were talking about the reader inserting themselves in the page is a, is a wonderful space for that. Since we're, we're speaking in the Poetry Review podcast, I wanted to ask you about the first time that some of your work was in the review and what that felt like.
1: Oh goodness, I can't remember. When that was much to my shame, I was never very widely published when I was starting out, etc. So I always used to get, not necessarily from the Poetry Review, but I always used to get lots of rejections. And I find it very hard to be published when I was younger, you know, as most people probably do. And that's kind of stayed with me a bit. I'm not great at disseminating my work or whatever the the current um, phrase is. Um, So I'm always just very, very pleased when somebody takes something and likes it. Of course, I wonder why they don't like the other one that I sent. But um, this is just the nature of of the work, of what it is to be be making something in, in private, essentially, and, and then trying to get it out into the world and seeing how it bounces off readers, whether that's editors or readers generally. But, no, I can't remember the first time I was in Poetry Review, but I'm, I'm always very pleased to be in it because it's so, such a handsome magazine and <laughs> there's always such good work in it. So to speak... And the editors are so... Um, <laughs> what's the word? Um, clever and... <laughs>
0: I don't know if there's a word that could, (laughs) to speak briefly of that editorial process, there's a strong sense of, um, not necessarily something collaborative, but there's an affinity that I read in your work and the work of the other poets on the Picador list that comes through, I think, from Don Patterson. What has been your experience of working with him as an editor?
1: Well, it's always been a very positive experience for me and an exciting and interesting one. I don't know how anyone else works with Don, you know, because we don't all get together and discuss it. But uh, I tend to work on my own until I've got a manuscript and then I'll angst about that for a while and then I'll ask Don if he'd like to have a look. You know, I've never thanked him in the books and I probably should do but because I, I don't know why I haven't, but um, he's he's been... You know, just a superb reader, basically. And from the very my very first book, From the Brink, it was a, a huge kind of learning experience for me. Because really he embodied a reader, essentially. And part of my learning was to kind of learn that that's who I was working for. You know, that's what my work was who my work was intended for. And anyway, if it was going to go out into the world and be public, then there were certain things that had to be questioned and asked. It's been a, a wonderful kind of experience. You know, Don's not dictatorial, you know, in any way at all. He makes suggestions and he, he's partly very acute because he'll say something about a, a little bit of the poem and that will cause me to go away and probably look at lot, a lot more of it. He has the ability to kind of hone in on something and the implications of that something Will be broader than just that little thing.
0: I wondered to finish if you wouldn't mind reading us one of the poems of your choosing that we selected for the autumn issue of the review.
1: Yeah, I'd love to. Um, I mean, one of the interesting things about this book, Jack Self, which is a single, you know, a single st- story sequence, I suppose, is that one just wonders how much kind of context the poems need, and there are, there are certainly things in in this poem like Jack Self lives in a place called Lamanby, so, so Lamanby is mentioned in this poem. and Lamanby is, is a kind of farmhouse, but it's also a, a kind of giant place as well, a place that holds, for instance, the, the skeletons of his ancestors, etc., in the loft and things like that. So it's, it's a kind of phantasmagorical place, Lamanby, as well as being just a farmhouse. Snow Dad. Won't he do, Jack Self says, longing at the red front door of Lamanby. Behind the door is the great hall and black stove he and Jeremy Wren could be sitting in front of with buttered crumpets and sugary tea, taking turns to gob on the hot plate and consider each frothy gob's bead dance and shrivel to a brief darkness on the iron. "'Wake up!' Wren yells. And Jack's self starts back into snow glare and the cold that's radiating from the white, nine-foot dad Wren's had them build to replace his own. "'If you go to sleep, that'll be it,' Wren says. "'I climbed into a chest freezer once, and before I could tell my lolly from my lick stick,' I was tucked up, toasty warm, a bag of petit pois for a pillow. There's no dreaming, he says, when you're dead. What do you want a new old man for, anyhow, Jack self says, shivering. So I can give him a smile, stonier than a lip smile, poke myself in the eyes on his hand sticks, Run clean through him and leave a me-hole. Hide a penny in his body, so when he's gone, I get it back.
0: Thank you, Jacob.
1: Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Poetry Society podcast. To find out more about the Poetry Society and how you can become involved, visit poetrysociety.org.uk.